0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. You guys ready to jump into the Word? I hope you are. Do me a favor. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And all the Bible pages said, right? Let's flip those Bible pages. Romans chapter 8, or open your Bible apps to Romans chapter 8. You know, uh, um, I'm, I'm a guy who does the Bible app sometimes too, but there's just nothing like having that Bible, right? I, l- I love it. I love to get you guys moving around in the Word of God on Sunday mornings too, because then you learn where things are and it's easier to find them, right? So, um, we're going to continue Romans today. Romans chapter 8. Romans is the most comprehensive expression of theology in the entire Bible. I say that every single week because it remains to be true. Some call it the gospel according to Paul. The theme is the grace of God revealed. God's righteousness, our iniquity, and God's remedy to that iniquity Through grace, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. So far through Romans, we have seen um, the Trinity really at work. The whole I mean the whole Trinity, not just the Holy Spirit at work, not just Jesus at work, the whole Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I see this first graphic? I'm going to do a little setup, a little revisiting this morning. God the Father, we saw Him in creations. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 1, uh, uh, verses 1 through chapter 3 and verse 20. We see the Son of God, Jesus, at work in salvation. Paul covers that in Romans chapter 3 through chapter 7. And today we're going to see quite... A bit of the Holy Spirit at work. Up until this point in the book of Romans, Paul has mentioned the Holy Spirit two times. He's about to mention him 19 times through this chapter. So we see the Holy Spirit at work today in chapter 8 through the process of sanctification, which we covered at length in chapters 6 and some in 7 as well. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in the regenerated life of a believer. Delivering the believer from the power of sin and performing all of God's will in the life of a believer. Did you know that that can happen for you? That God's will for your life, it can happen? It can happen when the Holy Spirit is in here and he leads and you follow, okay? We saw in chapter 5, uh, we saw we're going to see that chapter, five, eight is really, uh, with chapter, uh, chapter eight is really linked with chapter chapter eight is really linked with chapter five in some interesting ways. I've got a quick summaries of that on the screen. If I can see this next graphic, and I should tell you, well, it looks like one of my kids got my phone. Anyway, I'm gonna. I'm going to post the notes for you guys, because some of this stuff is just way too small to see on the screen. So I'm going to post the notes in the Life Story Church family page as well, just so you know, because you, uh, you guys, I mean, you don't just take my word for this stuff, right? I mean, you follow up on me, right? So when you're following up on me, uh, I'll, those notes will be in... Fact check me, exactly. Those fact checkers are getting me every time. Chapter 5 is a a summation of the saving work of Jesus Christ. We saw that. In chapter 8, we'll see the summation of what Christ did to provide victory in each of our lives, and you can have victory in your life. In chapter 5, justification. Just as if it had never happened, you are declared righteous by faith. It's forever. In chapter 8, we learn that a godly life is ensured through the power of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5, our performance was based on our understanding of God's love for us. Paul explained that. In chapter 8, he's going to explain to us that our performance is based also on the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Chapter 5 Our relationship to God was revealed in chapter 8. Our relationship to the world, to conflict, to the flesh, and tribulation is going to be revealed. In chapter 5, the Holy Spirit is mentioned only once in verse 5. The power in chapter 8, the power available to us through the Holy Spirit, it is developed in its fullness to give us assured victory. He mentions it 19 times. See the next graphic? Chapter 5 is the capstone of our salvation in Christ. Chapter 8, as you'll soon discover, is the capstone on our victory in Christ. Is anybody ready to be victorious this morning? Amen. Amen. Shout it out. It's just too cozy in here. (laughs) Y'all are going to fall asleep if I don't get you engaged and involved in this, so you're going to be a part part of the presentation this morning. You're good with that, right? The first four verses of chapter 8 are a continuation of chapter 7, you'll see. These opening verses are a summary of the truths that were unfolded really in Romans chapter 5 all the way through chapter 7, verse 25. You know, the chapter divisions in the Bible, they weren't there originally. The way that the Hebrews wrote and the way that the Greeks wrote, how we have chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 with all the different verses, and those weren't in there. In the 13th century, the Archbishop of Canterbury put them in there to help us find our way around the Word of God, and I personally am glad that he did, but sometimes it means that you get this. The first four verses of chapter 8 should really be uh, the conclusion of chapter 7. But this is where we begin today. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, shall we read? There is therefore now no condemnation. Oh, I want some of you all to hear that. No condemnation. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That word condemnation there in the Greek is a word katakrima. Katakrima, it means the punishment following a sentence. The judge has ruled and he has given you a sentence of punishment. It's a penal servitude word in the Greek. In other words, there is no punishment following the sentence that should be rendered on you for sin. There is no reason, in other words, for those who are in Jesus Christ to go on doing penal servitude as though they had never been pardoned. You have been pardoned. Why are you going on doing the penal servitude, right? As if you'd never been released from the jailhouse of sin. That is what Paul is saying here. If you were pardoned for a crime, crime that you should have gotten some time for, would you want to continue doing the time after you'd been pardoned? Hmm? Does anybody in here feel like volunteering for some jail time? That's what I'm saying. Anybody? (laughs) How about uh, some court-ordered community service? Anybody up for that? I'm all for community service, but not at the hands of the court, per se. No! Of course not! Right? So why do you then? Why do you then? Why are you still punishing yourself for sins that you've committed. And ultimately, sins, perhaps, in some cases, sins that you've committed and you have been forgiven for, in some cases, years ago, and you're still punishing yourself. Am I talking to myself in here? Where are your accusers then? Hmm? Neither do I condemn you, John said. Or Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 11, Why are you still punishing yourself? You know, I almost said, uh, I almost wanted to say when I was writing my sermon last night, I almost wanted to say right there, I wanted to say, Why are you beating yourself up? But then I knew that there's no way I could have said that without making a Jesse Smollett joke. So <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that one. Just away from that one. There is, therefore, no condemnation. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear that. I want it to soak into your skin. Do you hear me? I want it to permeate your chest cavity. I want it to sink through your forehead. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only are you justified, just as if it had never happened, but there is no punishment for you. There is now no punishment for you. This should put to bed that lie that Satan tells you when you experience hardship that God is punishing you for your sins. Now, it might be the whirlwind you sowed, right? It might be God even allowing some hardship to grow you, right? We know that's true, that that happens. We know that that God will train us as one trains a child when we take apart the scriptures in context. We we do it with our kids, don't we? I mean, I know a lot of times I see Seiji struggling with something, trying to figure it out, and I could step in and do it for him, Right? but I know that he needs to learn, right? He might even be doing something the wrong way, but I don't want a helicopter parent, right? I want him to learn himself. So I'll let him try it a few ways and fail before he figures it out, but then when he figures it out, he'll never forget it, right? But if I just grab it and do it for him, then he'll never learn anything, right? So sure, yeah, God, God might allow some hardships in our lives for us to grow, But it is not condemnation. It is not condemnation. It is not penal punishment. Okay? It is not condemnation. You are justified, and there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus by faith. Somebody say amen. Amen. And we're just getting warmed up. Verse 1 interestingly enough can I go back to verse 1 Bennett can I take a look at that we see the back end of verse 1 who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit that's actually not in the Bible Uh, that is not in any text pre the 4th century in any text Uh, that was likely added by a scribe trying to make the transition flow better Um, that's never a good idea okay um, so the oldest manuscripts all agree that that should not be there at all. So just read that as, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, period. Period. That's a good place for a period, okay? Um, excuse me, 6th century on that. 6th century, so even later. 6th century is when that started showing up, okay? So it was either a scribal error or it was a misguided attempt at uh, smoothing the transition to verse 2. Yet, yet, this would promote a contradiction to all that has gone before, that Paul has said, as it is tasking you with works. It sounds like it's putting you works on you in that context. This is actually a phrase from chapter 4, and when you read it in chapter 4 in the proper context, It makes perfect sense. So, I like to point these things out to you. It's pretty relevant, right? Next tile, next graphic. Chapter 8. Chapter 8 opens. As chapter 8 opens, it opens with, There is no possibility for condemnation for you now that you are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross? Do you believe that that debt was enough to pay your sins? Do you believe he rose from the grave on the third day that he lives? Do you believe that was enough? The Holy Spirit has sealed your heart, guaranteeing your inheritance. He is in you now. He's in you, okay? Uh, There is no possibility of condemnation now that he is in you. And as chapter 8 will close, we'll see that there is no possibility of separation for those who are truly in Christ. Verse 2, let's go. Verse 2, Paul writes, for the, law of, for the law of the Spirit is life. So there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, that's where it should pick up. For the law of the Spirit, if you want to follow a law, if you're you know, bent on, on following laws, here's your law, okay? Okay? You want to fall law? here's here's your new law. And guess what? It's stronger than the old law of sin and death. The spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This verse basically summarizes all of chapter 7. While sin is still in our bodies, Paul covered this pretty well in chapter 7, while sin is still in our bodies and we are subject subjected to it and we will no doubt sin fall short miss the mark is what sin means in greek although we surely will miss the mark still it is not our master any longer we have the ability to choose it is it is not it does not have dominion or authority over us anymore the spirit of life has dominion over you now The only, it's important for us to realize, you know, the only victory, the only victory that Satan or sin has over you is the victory that you give him. He's already lost, you understand. In the end of time, he already loses. When the end of Revelation, right, he already loses, right? You belong to the Lord, your faith and trust is in him. He's already lost you, but while you're here, stuck in the timeline, a prisoner of time, in this body of death, this flesh that is not yet regenerated like your heart and spirit is, that's the only victory he can have, is the victory that we talked about uh, uh, last week, you know, the, the spirit nature and the flesh nature, right, and that they're both within us and that... They're at war battling, right? Always, it reminds me of this story, you've probably heard it a million times of an old Indian chief who who, uh, sat down to tell a little boy a parable and he said, there's two wolves inside of man and whichever one you feed is the one that gets stronger, right? Right? Indeed, Paul essentially is saying the same thing. You know, sin is trying to rise up within us because it is literally in this flesh body, yet because we are not uh, subordinates to it any longer, we can push it down, right? And we can push it back, and we can take the victory. And he's going to get more into how here in a second. But the point is, the only victory Satan or sin has over you now is the victory that you give him. For Paul, for Paul, the leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, the leading of the Holy Spirit was not a matter of sporadic impulse, okay? Um, it wasn't a matter of sporadic impulse, but it was the, basically the believer's normal experience of life. I mean, isn't it? Can't you attest to that? that you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit within you coming from your heart, I mean, all day long, every day, on a, on a myriad of different topics or issues. or I mean, it could be anything. He's within us, leading us. We are in communion with him. So, Paul, for Paul, it wasn't some random sporadic thing. No, it's just the nor this is the normal experience for a believer. If you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under law, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, introduces believers to God as freeborn sons and daughters. Free-born. Sons and daughters, it is the prompting of the Holy Spirit that causes us as believers to approach God and to address him spontaneously as Father, Abba, just as Jesus did, just as he did. It's the Holy Spirit that says, come to your Father. The Holy Spirit leads us to say, Abba, Father. You know, Abba uh, in the Greek is an intimate term. In our language, we would say Daddy. Daddy as a little child, says, Daddy. As my kids running around the house say, Daddy. That's how Jesus talked to the Father. That's intimate. That's close. The same Holy Spirit, church, that came onto the flesh of Jesus when he was in the tomb when he had been crucified on that cross and died, when they took his body down and they wrapped him and they put him in the tomb, the Holy Spirit came onto that flesh and it brought him back to life. That flesh, it transfigured and brought back to life and restored that same Holy Spirit is inside of you. I think sometimes we fail to grasp the magnitude of that. That's a lot of power you have coursing through your veins, right? Your spiritual veins, rather. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, meaning the flesh couldn't keep the law, right? It couldn't. We will always fail in our flesh to keep the law, That has been proven over and over again, especially by the 10th commandment, right? The internal sin, as we covered last week. God did. So what the flesh was unable to do, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned, he punished, he penal sentenced, right? You who are not condemned, now you see he condemned sin in the flesh. That is what was condemned, not you, not who you are. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And this is important. It's the little things that matter. In us, it doesn't say by us, does it? Because it is his work in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, that's the proper context for that verse. With the correct context applied, what does this mean? It means that's it. It means not trying by our own efforts, but walking according to the Spirit. The Spirit who leads us into faith. So long as you endeavor, church, to rely on your own resources, you fight a losing battle. As long as you're relying on the work of your hands, your good deeds, whatever it is, you're fighting a losing battle. But when you lay hold, hear me now, when you lay hold of the life and power that are yours in Christ Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. Are we living in victory, church? Yeah? Who wants to live in victory? Amen? Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? This is big, okay? They set their minds, their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's a key I just gave you to unlocking <laughs> some Holy Spirit power in your life, church, okay? Again, when you set your mind on sin, we talked about this a little bit last week, didn't we? When you set your mind on sin, uh, set it on uh, on doing it, doing the sin or not doing the sin, you know? And especially if you're equating it to whether or not you do... Uh, wh- Whether or not you do that sin or don't do that sin, whether you're equating that to your salvation, if I do this sin or don't do that sin, that that's got something to do with my salvation, or God's approval of you, whether I do this sin or don't do that sin, then God is either going to approve of me or not approve of me, whether or not I do that sin. What are you thinking of the whole time? Sin, right? Effectively, what you are doing when you're, putting your fixing your mind on sin and saying whether I do this sin or don't do this sin I'm saved or not saved or my the, if I do good this has got some this could help me in my salvation essentially what you're doing is you're giving it authority over you you understand you're giving it the say as to whether you're saved or not you're you're it's real tricky isn't it I'm giving the say because nobody wants to behave like a fool, right? The Holy Spirit doesn't want to, but guess what? We act foolish sometimes. We sin, we miss the mark. Even the best of us, even Paul, remember last week? What I don't want to do, I do. What I do want to do, I don't do. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, right? So if I am living my life with that, ultimately what it is is a, is a mentality of legalism. It is a sin-focused mentality. I'm always thinking about not doing sin, thinking it's got something to do with my salvation or whether I'm or not I'm approved by God. I'm thinking about sin all of the time. Paul saying those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on things of the flesh. And what is the flesh? The flesh is ultimately what I do, my works, my hands, okay? And you're giving that sin dominion over you again. Under the old order, we've got to understand, under the old order, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, who has come now, it was impossible for man to fully do the will of God. Because there's sin in us, and the Holy Spirit is was not. And if people's Lives remain dominated by that old order of works-based salvation. I'm just telling you, it's impossible to do his will. This is what Paul is telling us here. But those who belong to the new order, they do the will of God, Paul says. They do the will of God from their heart. Because that's where the Holy Spirit is leading them. They do it by faith. When you believe, you are led by the Holy Spirit, and this is the new order of things. Not relying on your own performance, not relying on your accomplishments or resources, but solely relying on Him. That's what it all breaks down to, church. Are you solely relying on Him? Then your mind is fixed on Him. Fixed on the moving of the Holy Spirit, right? I'm just telling, and, and, and in the littlest ways too. I was leaving this morning, and the Holy Spirit told me not to forget the cups in the garage for coffee. He told me. I was lazy though, and I didn't grounds. Ah, there's probably enough. What happened? I got here, and I'm just telling you this happens all the time. I've gotten pretty good to where I listen now, right? I get here and Diana says, "Hey, where are the cups?" i was like, <laughs> "Right." I'm just telling you that that that's just one little thing. You know, he's with you on the big stuff too, but he cares about you so intimately. He's with you on the little stuff too. But this is where we fix our minds. Look, it's Jesus, guys. There's there is. Apart from him and his finished work, I can't do it, right? So it is solely based upon him. Here, so here Paul has been giving us this contrast between two believers. Can we see that graphic on the screen? Here's a contrast between two believers. The impossibility of trying to live for God by human effort versus they that are truly walking by the Spirit with their minds fixed on it. Is your mind on the things of the Spirit or on the things of the world and, and fixed on encountering God by way of the old order? By way of the old order. The old law. Remember, that was well. everything Paul was talking about in chapter 7 was the way of coming to God through the law is over, Now we come to him by spirit. There's a new order, new sheriff in town. Verse 6, let's keep reading. For to be carnally minded is death, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'll take some life and peace. The Greek here is more blunt. It actually reads, For the mind of, or under dominion of, the flesh, is death. Under the dominion of is death. The mind of, or under the dominion of the Spirit, is life and peace. Interestingly enough, of Paul's case here, these are both... Uh, believers and this term death here truly means out of fellowship or separated for to be carnally minded earthly minded is death separated out of fellowship verse 7 because the carnal mind is enmity we've seen that word enmity before haven't we enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman in the Garden of Eden, enmity between them. Well, the carnal mind is enmity against God because there's only one way to God, and that is the path that he has provided, which is faith, which is Jesus. Any other means of trying to come to him goes against the grain of how God has designed this and set it up. There's no other path to him. There's no other faith plus works equation that gets you to where you're wanting to go. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Romans 7 is summarized here again, the carnal mind The things I hate, I keep on doing, right? The flesh will never be improved. Nowhere in the Bible does this flesh line up and rid itself of sin, except we see transfiguration when it's completely changed top to bottom. I'm looking forward to that. Verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In the flesh. This is important. In, he's saying those who are in the flesh versus according to the flesh. He's speaking of an unbeliever here. So in the flesh, an unbeliever can't please God. So If you're an unbeliever, you're not putting their trust and faith in his work. His completed work, then if you're not doing that, it's impossible to please God. Mm -mm. Verse 9. But you. This is important. Are you reading with me? But you. Paul here is desiring not to be misunderstood, so pay attention. But you. I'm looking at you, Life Story Church. You. You. You who have put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ, the finished work of the cross, the empty tomb, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit since it sealed your heart. And whether you listen to it all the time or not, he is leading you. He's trying to drag you along in some cases, but he's there and he's given you life. That phrase, in the Spirit, also means under the dominion of, the Spirit of Christ. You're under the dominion of the Spirit of Christ, or the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit whose mission in your life is to reveal Jesus Christ to you again and again. So, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that's a big if, isn't it? Of all the ifs, that's a pretty big one is life or death here depending on this if it's a big if so does he dwell in you yeah. only a couple saved people here i guess <laughs> does the spirit dwell in you yeah. Yeah. do you know how you can know that if whether he does or not come talk to me after service or we'll, we'll talk to him together all right Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. What's the converse of that? If you do, you are his. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. This is kind of a big deal here, okay? Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, then guess what? The body is dead because of sin. This flesh has got a death sentence on it. It won't be renewed. It can't, can't, in this form, it can't please God because of the sin in it. The body is dead, but guess what? The Spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Good answer. You've been paying attention. Not my righteousness. My righteousness is like what? That's it. We won't get we won't dig too far into that one but if you've really dug into the filthy rags they're filthy all right um, in Romans chapter six verse six it says you know uh, knowing this that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed or rendered powerless that henceforth we should not serve sin that's incredibly relevant here you know it's uncanny isn't it i tell you the more you study this thing this bible the less legalistic it gets you ever noticed that the more you study it the deeper you study it and the more in context you study it the less legalistic it gets every believer has the holy spirit period every believer has the holy spirit but here's the question is he in control of your life When he speaks, do you listen? This is a contrast of two different believers that Paul is talking about here. One walks in victory, one not so much. Both saved, by the way. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... Boom, there it is, right? If the spirit of him... The Holy Spirit, what did he do? Raise Jesus from the dread. If he dwells in you, that same regenerating, that same uh, regenerating power, death to life power, the spirit that did that is in you. If he dwells in you, that word indwells means to take up residence, like you're his living room or something, right? He's taken up residence in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Whoa. Through his spirit who dwells in you. This body is getting transfigured, y'all. Amen? It's getting trans. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm thinking Fabio, maybe. No. <laughs> I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> Anybody remember that? No? no seriously. <laughs> you know, just as much as bitterness rots the bones here, why should we? You know that, don't you? Bitterness, scripture, bitterness rots the bones. If you hold on to bitterness, it will physically make you sick. If we believe that, because the Word of God tells us that, you know, um, why shouldn't we believe that the Holy Spirit can heal us as well? Amen. These mortal bodies, amen? I mean, good grief. And we know that he is a healer already, over and over again in the Bible. Uh, I mean, he's a resurrectionist, actually, right? You know, And by the, it's a gift of the Spirit as well. Uh, he's a healer. I've personally seen it, and I know many of you have as well. But you know, I really think that this particular passage is talking about our mortal death, our, our mortal death bodies getting life, getting eternity, since that's the con- context here. But uh, verse 12. We're going to read through verse 17, so let's get a move on here, huh? wrap up. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not only to the flesh, To live according to the flesh, Um, excuse me, (laughs) therefore, brother, we are debtors not to the flesh. That's a big word, right, to leave out. We owe the flesh nothing is the point. We owe it nothing. We are not uh, in debt to it. Um, We're not in debt to do its service, okay? Not since victory is guaranteed in Christ Jesus, all right? Uh, look up 1 Corinthians 10, 13 for more on that. But Galatians 2, verse 20, gives us some more insight here. Can we see that on the screen? Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the mind that Paul is talking about that is fixed on things of the Spirit. Do you understand? Verse 13. Back to chapter 8. Verse 13. For if you live according, or another translation of that word could be after, live after, according to the flesh, you will die. You will die. And that word in the Greek, therefore, die, is a present tense word implied on it. So essentially, if you keep on living, is what it should say, if you keep on living after the flesh, ye shall keep on dying. That's a frightening scenario, huh? You ever followed after your flesh long enough that you just feel like you're dying over and over and over again? That's what's in view here. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will leave. The word for deeds is praxis in the Greek. It means a deeply ingrained habit. Put to death the deeply ingrained habits of fixing your mind on flesh, works-based religion to please God and find salvation You'll never meet more hypocritical people that are trying to earn their salvation through good deeds and good works. Because they try to be real good, real good, and then they get frustrated because they can't, and then they fall off the wagon and it's real bad. And then it just cycles over and over again. You ever seen that? Maybe this is a better question. You ever done that? You ever have that wrong legalistic worldview? Well, yeah. Too many, too many have. Verse 14 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, in other words, those who have the Holy Spirit indwelling, taking up residence, these are the sons of God. Is that you? Say yes. Yes. If you didn't say yes, come see me after service. I expect to see your hand in the air shortly. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Who's living in fear? It's been a bad couple years with coronavirus and all this scary stuff on the news media, right? mm We're not in bondage to fear. That's not how we live, right? mm But you received the spirit of adoption. Oh Jesus, yes. Adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The words that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he cried out, the tender in our, so tender and in our tongue, Daddy. My goodness. In the Roman law, adoption was required. A weothseo was an heir that you adopted. Fully, legally adopted heir to whatever you had. In the Roman law, adoption was required of even legitimate sons. Did you know that? In order to inherit, they would then have to go through the legal process of being named a legal son for the process, For the uh, in order to inherit anything, this ceremony uh, le- it was legally held in the forum, and it was called adoption. But all born, all born in a, a, a family were children, right? Obviously, children of the family. But only those who were adopted were recognized as sons. And this is the big kicker. After adoption, they could never be disowned. There was never a legal recourse for unadopting them. It didn't exist. That's the language Paul is using here. That's you, okay? We, respe- we receive that spirit of adoption. He can't unadopt us now by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The word children is technon. It means born one of God. The phrase children of God or sons of God is bene ha Elohim in Genesis chapter 6. And it's a term that's used for direct, direct creations by God, and that's relevant in Genesis chapter six because we're talking about angels coming to Earth, right, and dispelling the bad teaching that they were Sethites or something like that, right? So they're direct spirit creations. But in this context, it's important uh, because he's not talking about angels here; he's talking about you and me. If you are a born again believer, Paul is telling us here that you become a direct creation of God. A new creation. He later goes on to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, John chapter 1 verse 10 through 12. Let's finish up. It reads, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him verse 11. He came to his own and his his own did not receive him. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Wow. Direct spirit creations. To those who do what? Believe in his name. And then don't screw it up? No. And then do a bunch of good deeds and works to stay saved? No to those who believe in his name. Mm. Verse 17, in closing. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together to share in glory with Christ are you kidding me? We can't begin to imagine what this means. We'll close here today. And I was going to share one more thing with you, but we'll start there next week. If I could have um, Leith come up. Leith or Pat. Thank you. Or we have both of you come up. I'm going to bring the whole band back up here. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. You know, we have this, these natures within us that are warring against each other. Paul is imploring us to fix our eyes on things of the Spirit. Yet we live in this flesh, and the old man wants to rise back up. He doesn't have dominion over you anymore, but he wants his property back, you understand? So back and forth, we we push the old man down and push forward towards Christ to walk after the Spirit and to everything that he's leading us to. But sometimes we grow weary of that struggle, don't we? And sometimes that old man, though he can't have us anymore, he does talk to us and he says, you're not good enough. I saw what you did there. You're not fooling anybody. Well, let's, for just a moment, fix our eyes on the Spirit. And you know what the Spirit says? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for you. Amen? No punishment. Christ has already taken that for you on the cross. All sin, past, present, and future. Did you know that? Your future sin is even covered. So when we walk in, you know, oftentimes I grew up my whole life saying, Lord, forgive me for that sin. Forgive me for this. Oh, I realized as I grew older and studied a little bit, I was like, oh, he already did. I started praying, Lord, I'm such an idiot. I confess my sin to you. Thank you for having forgiven me. Thank you for, for forgiving me every eye closed and every head bowed I don't know who in here struggles with condemnation but let's keep it simple here this morning if that's you right now just raise your hand you can put it right back down I want to pray specifically for that this morning and if there's anything else the Holy Spirit is leading you as you fix your heart and your eyes and your mind on the Spirit if He's leading you to lay anything else down I want you to raise your hand right right now just put it right there right thank you Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the way that you love us. We hear your word. We hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that inspired these words. And we say thank you this morning, Jesus. We drop the weight off of our shoulders, the burden of carrying condemnation around, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're going st- to... St- Stop punishing ourselves this morning. Help us to stop punishing ourselves this morning for things that you have already forgiven us for. We lay them down. Our hearts are broken about them. You see them, Lord. But we're not going to live in guilt. We're not going to live punished for that which you have already made atonement for. See the hearts of your people here this morning, Lord Jesus. See what else they bring before your throne this morning, Lord. Give them strength. Give them encouragement. Give them boldness. Give them victory this morning. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's say the salvation, a prayer of salvation this morning for anybody who has never surrendered their heart to Christ and put their trust in Him for eternity and salvation, perhaps watching online right now. Let's say this out loud. Church, say, Jesus, say this with us if this is your heart and where you're at. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you put to death my flesh that deserves the punishment, and you took it for me. I believe the tomb was empty and that you live, and so do I now live because of it. Come into my heart. Seal it. Walk with me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, pour his favor, love, and grace out on your life. May you go and prosper in all you do, and may everybody get over this cold. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys.